We've been in a series for some time now on the miracles of Jesus. And you may not have associated the word that I'm going to put emphasis on today with miracles, but it is a word that is connected to and helps to express the miracles that Jesus does. And that is the word supernatural. So I've called this little short teaching the supernaturalness of a spirit-filled life. Did you know God wants every one of his disciples to be a supernatural-oriented person? There's something in you as a believer that is already supernatural. You're already, you've got something in you that's supernatural, and we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to give you about seven statements backed up with the scripture, and then we'll do something else after that. But you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, and his life lives in us. The first statement is this, God is spirit. He said that in John chapter 4 and verse 24, where it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. He is not a physical, tangible being now. He was when he was in a human body on earth, but now he is not. He can choose to be if he wants to be, or he can choose not to because he's the glorified God sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he put his spirit in us. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, another companion scripture, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created human beings in his image after his likeness. Now, get the connection. He is spirit. That's his quality of being. He is spirit, and he created us in his image and likeness. Now, many of us know the rest of the story. He created Adam and Eve, put them in a garden, perfect place, no sin, nothing like that abound, nothing was controlling them apart from their obedience to God's command, and they disobeyed that after being tempted by the serpent, namely Satan. And as a result of that disobedience, they lost their standing, that is their relationship with God. They became dead, spiritually disconnected, divorced from that relationship with God, and as a result, plunged humanity into sin. With a propensity, every one of us had a propensity to do that which was wrong. Our default setting was do what was wrong, opposed from what God wanted. But because we have a spirit that was dead from God, we couldn't just make up our mind and make a choice and fix everything all at once. We do begin, when we hear the gospel message, we do make a choice. But what our choice is at that point is we choose Jesus Christ. We choose Him as our Lord and our Master. And as a result of that action, the life of God is imparted into us. We have the life of God in our previously dead spirit. Ephesians 2.1 says, we were dead 
in trespasses and sins. But God didn't leave us that way. Jesus came, died for us, as us, purchased our salvation, makes it available to us, and we first begin by believing it and acting on it. And we declare it and we receive the experience that we call the new birth. And when that happens, you're born again in your spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when you were born again, it was your spirit that was born again. You are a three-part being, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica and to the church in Louisville, he said, I pray God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Faithful is he who calls you who, is, who will also do it. So you are a spirit. Paul prayed that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. So your spirit is where you have the life of God. Now, if you've been around here any time at all, you've heard this many, many times. But somehow this week, I sense that many of us, we know a lot of good things up here, but somehow it hasn't gotten down here in our spirit, and we haven't really gotten a hold of it sufficient enough to really believe and act it. Because if God speaks a word to you, with that word comes the ability to obey it and do it. Let me say that again. If God speaks a word to you, contained in that word is the ability to obey and do it. So if he said, I want you to get up and go talk to John over here, you will be able to do that if God said that. Now if you made that up, that's questionable. But if God said it contained in the word, it's going to require obedience. And with that obedience will come the ability to do it. Because every word from God, every seed from God contains within it the ability to reproduce what it says. Apple seed creates orange trees. No, it doesn't. Apple trees. Because contained in the seed is the ability to grow an apple tree. And then apples on it. See, so the word of God is that way. So we were born again on the inside. His life, his nature is in us 24, 7, 365 and one quarter days a year. The life of God is in you. When you're sleeping, it's in you. It's in your spirit. When you get up, you don't have to wake God up. He's living on the inside of you. You don't have to say, hey, God, I'm awake. I need you today. You don't have to do that. Number one, he already knows all that. There's nothing we're going to tell God about anything that he don't already know. Isn't that good news? I get excited thinking about that. If I have to sit down and make me a list and, okay, today I got to tell God, Lord, now this morning I'm going to go to church and preach. Now, you know that, Lord, right? And and, and would you come and be with me today while I do that? Do you know that's totally unnecessary? The more I've understood who lives in me, it's shortened my, my, my prayer list in the sense of what I have to ask God to do for me. You know, because he's already promised he's going to do it. I don't have to ask him to do anything he's already promised he's going to do. 
I just say, Lord, thank you you're going to be with me today. Thank you that you're going to anoint this today. Thank you I'm going to try to do the best I can, but I know in, in addition to that, you are all-consuming, powerful, able, and you can take my little measly effort and make something good out of it. And the same thing works for you because he lives in you. All right? So you're born again in your spirit. Flesh produces flesh. Spirit produces spirit. God is spirit. He put his spirit in us. And that spirit in us produces spiritual activity. Supernatural activity. Actually, the word supernatural simply means above and beyond the natural. You can't, you can't discern it and, and, and define it and slice it apart with natural things because it sometimes is unreasonable in the natural realm. How could a God love, loss, spiritually blind, dead, and deaf individuals? In the natural, we would be repulsed by some of us. If we look at ourselves before we came to Christ, we would be repulsed at some of us. But what does the Bible say? God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. That's supernatural. And if you can love somebody that's unlovable, that's supernatural. If you love somebody that's being mean to you and you love them anyway, that is a work of the Spirit of God which is supernatural. It's also called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. The ministry gifts of the Spirit are supernaturally given by God and anointed. The charismatic gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are supernaturally given and anointed by God. Anytime God works, man's response is, wow, God, that's fantastic. Some cases it's instantaneously miraculous, but in all cases it's supernatural. It's above and beyond the natural realm. Next statement. Every born-again person has the Spirit of God living in them. Romans 8, 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So because you have been born again, the Spirit of God dwells. The word dwells means to inhabit or take up residence. When you got born again, he took up residence in you. His presence by the Spirit of God came into your spirit, your innermost being. See, you and I are tripartite beings, spirit, soul, and body. The innermost part of us is spirit, and that's where the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And that part of us that was spiritually dead, no relationship with God, has now been given His life, and we have a relationship with God. Baby, perhaps. We're a babe in Christ, Paul said. That's, you know what happens to babies? You feed them, give them good food and a little sunshine and a few other things, and they grow. Because there's something in their DNA that multiplies and makes them grow. When they are fed what they need, they will grow. You don't have to pick that little fellow up and say, you got to grow, son. you got to grow. You better grow, son. You better grow. You better grow. You know what? Feed him, take care of him like they're supposed to be taken care of, it, and they will. Some of us grow more than we want to. 
Our problem then isn't not as a believer having the presence of God. Our problem is in the arena of releasing the Spirit of God that is within us so that He can accomplish what He desires to accomplish not only within, but through of us, through us out to others. Releasing the Spirit. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, clothed upon, or filled with the Spirit of God. Power from on high. Now, you and I have the presence of the Spirit within us. We need to release that presence for the benefit of not only ourselves, but for other people. You know, I have, I have actually met some, some Christians, truly born-again Christians, that have not received their personal Pentecost yet. But because they obeyed the Word of God, they allowed the Spirit of God who lived in them to be released, and miracles would happen. That can happen. Now, I know some of us Pentecostal charismatics think that may be strange, but it, it can happen. Because it's the same spirit in them that is in you. They just learned how to release him. Quit putting barriers and constraints on him and just yielded to him, and God could use them and do great things. Reading charismatic or Pentecostal history, you'll find some examples who were not spirit-filled in the typical sense of day of Pentecost. They did not speak in tongues the way we would suggest, but they had the anointing of God on their life, and God did great miracles. One guy from uh, Australia back in the 1800s was not a charismatic, but he was a preacher that believed the word, and he, and he was bold, and he would just act on what the word did, and God did creative miracles in Australia. When he moved to the United States, he had crusades in California. God did creative miracles, but when he got to Illinois, he got spirit-filled. And what did God do? He did creative miracles. The same thing he was doing before, before the guy ever said a word in tongues or gave a prophecy. You know why? Because it's all God. Right? right? Do you know, you and I can't do a miracle. Dear Lord, we couldn't heal a gnat's eyeball. (laughs) If if anything supernatural or miraculous happened, it's going to have to be God. And the vessels he uses are the vessels that submit to him and allow him to do so. And if that guy speaks in 12 tongues, hallelujah. If he can barely speak English, but God will use him when he obeys, hallelujah. Thank God for it. We don't discount anything that God does, right? We are all for whatever God does. So we need to learn, however, how to release the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with. That's, that's the requirement. We need our own personal Pentecost. And if you're here today or if you're watching online and you haven't been to Pentecost, you haven't had your own personal Pentecost, the benefit it's going to do to you is it's going to be a release of greater power. It's going to cause you to be more familiar with God. 
It's going to enable you to obey God in a higher, more powerful dimension than ever before. I was in Bible college. We were taught, you know, the salvation message. That was our only message that any of us knew in that particular denomination. And if you came to our church, you got it Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And we had Sunday school classes. You got it there. We had train you in classes. Got it there. We had RAs and GAs, and you got it there. And if you heard somebody pray, you probably heard it pre- uh, prayed and to you or about you or preached to you through their prayer again. Because that was the message. And I do not discount that at all. Thank God. Thank God for it. Lots of people got born again. But you know, that's not the whole thing. They weren't aware of what they had received when they got born again. And so to be a more fruitful, powerful, God-usable person, they have to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. And my suggestion is this. Have your own personal Pentecost, and you'll learn quicker how to yield to Him. Because the first thing that comes in conflict is that little guy that lives behind the white fence. That's why... One of the evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the God-given ability to pray in tongues because God is trying to tame the tongue by our yielding ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit. And that enables us to gain an area of victory. So let me suggest that every one of us have our own personal Pentecost. Number six statement. The Spirit within has life-giving power. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that is, he takes up residence in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life or vitalize your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. That's not talking about at the resurrection, at the second coming. It's applicable to that, but it's talking about in the present tense. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you today, He will give life. He will vitalize your mortal body. A mortal body is a body that's subject to death. That's a mortal body. A resurrected body is not subject to death. It cannot die because of the very life and glory of God that is within it. But you and I haven't gotten to that place yet of a resurrected body. You and I are here in a body that's subject to death. But the Spirit of God can touch you and give life, give vitality to that mortal body so that that mortal body can overcome the death that is being put upon it by life and circumstances that we live under. So the same spirit that, is, that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us today. Now I know all of us know this. My, my point is to drive these points home. I think it was Martin Luther who said about the justification by faith that it needs to be hammered into their brains. If he had a hammer and could hammer it in, he would. I'm the same way about understanding the Spirit of God is in us all the time, every day, the rest of our life. The key is, will I listen to Him and obey Him? 
if I will, I'll be far more successful and victorious in this life. Because it's Him on the inside of me that's doing the work. Now, does He use people? Of course He does. And you and I are His vessels. 2 Corinthians, uh, what is it, 5.20, I believe, says, We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were beseeching you through us. Be reconciled to God. So we are His ambassador, ambassadors, and His anointing, His gifts, His Spirit lives on the inside of us when and as we yield to Him. There's lots of ways that you and I can cooperate with this. But first, let me give you a couple of more scriptures. In the book of John 4, 14, who, uh, he's at the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of this water uh, shall thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him flowing up as a fountain or springing up as a well into everlasting life. And then Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being or heart will flow rivers of living water. He's talking to people who believe in Him. That's you and me. Who believe in Him and His Lordship. Now, supernatural things can happen without them having to be spectacular. Now, when I say spectacular, I'm thinking about something that we step back, wow, look at that. You know, if God were to raise somebody from the dead here this morning, we'd all say, Wow, after we get up off the floor. Well, wasn't that great? To me, that's spectacular. But you know, God can act supernaturally through you without having to do all that. Now, when he does that, I get excited. I just can't help it. I'm a pretty calm person, but I do get excited every once in a while. And I get excited over seeing something supernatural, spectacular. I get excited. But sometimes it's rather almost ordinary. Two events happened this week. While Tim and his family are on vacation, I was taking care of Nathaniel's dog, Zeus. <laughs> and a couple times a day, I would go let Zeus out, right? So I'm on my way Thursday, I believe it was, in the morning, about 6 o'clock, to let Zeus out. And I'm on the, well, the 22 is four lanes down close to the Northeast Christian Church area, in that area. And I'm in the lane towards the center, passing lane. Suddenly, I know on the inside of me, the car to my right, he's going to turn left right into me. And I just, I knew it that quick. So I put on my brake, slowed down. Within another second, he had his, did not have his blinker on or anything. It's six in the morning. It's still pretty dark. That was supernatural. That was supernatural. I've had that to happen to me numerous, numerous times. At least once or twice a week or sometimes more. Debbie and I have been on the car, in the car many times and I'd say, as we're about to pass somebody, that guy's going to pull out. And I would either let him go on by or I'd speed up, go past him, and then look in my rearview mirror and he mirror and he would pull out right behind me just like I knew he was. How did I know that? Because somebody on the inside told me that. Sometimes in counseling with people or praying with people to be ministered to and maybe healed or delivered or something of that nature 
I would know things that I should have had no other way of knowing except God would give it to me. I could give you probably 50 occasions when that happened when I was praying for somebody to be delivered from demons. It usually would be involved with knowing what caused the demon or allowed the demon to be influencing the person to start with. And when you respond to it correctly, pretty soon that thing will just, just leave. My point is this. It doesn't have to be spectacular to be supernatural. And if God's at work, I don't really care. I just want Him to do what He wants to do. If it's spectacular, I'm going to get excited about it. But even if it's not, if it's kind of ordinary, but what I felt He was saying to me proved to be true, then after it's over, then I get excited about that. Thank you, Lord, that you preserved my life. I didn't have to get in an accident today. All the hassle of being in an accident. Besides getting hurt, your car, insurance companies, dear Lord in heaven, deliver us from them all. And I used to be an insurance salesman. My point is, you can be set free from a lot of other things when we just simply obey God. Just simply obey what God is saying. And the Holy Spirit will work in your behalf. One other verse. In the book of Galatians 5, 6, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This word fulfill, I looked it up, it's the word teleo, means to accomplish or to complete. So if you walk under the influence, you live your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will not complete the work that the lust of the flesh was trying to get you to do. If we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I happened to be in Christ for the Nations. I believe it was 1973 at a conference there. And um, the, the founder of Christ for the Nations, Gordon Lindsay, told about a time when he was doing a lot of traveling, evangelistic work, and, and, and he was talking about, about in the late 50s, Occasionally, he would ride a train to the meeting or maybe even get a flight to a major city. And one day, he's getting ready to get on a plane in, in Dallas. And he, he said, I felt on, on the inside, I should not get on this plane. And he thought, but I have to get on this plane because I got this meeting tonight. And again, don't get on this plane. So two or three times, he's, he's at the gate, you know, at the, where they take up your ticket as you walk down the gangplank to get on the plane. He would be there, and I just, I can't get on this plane. And a friend of his got on the plane and went, and he didn't go. Later that night, he found that the plane crashed and everybody got killed. I'm glad he didn't get on that plane. He's glad he didn't get on that plane. Because it was after that that he started the ministry called now Christ for the Nations that have touched literally thousands of people in these decades. Thank God for obeying what he sensed God was saying to him. Now, it wasn't a voice thundering out of heaven, thou shalt not get on Delta Plane 5403. It wasn't that at all. It's just, don't know, at his deepest part of his being, don't get on this plane. 
Sometimes the voice of God can be loud and thundering. Sometimes it can be quiet and calm. God knows how to use volume and words that will touch us where we need to be touched. On a few occasions, I've had God speak to me rather forcefully. He got my attention. I never want to hear that ever again. There have been other times that I've heard God speak to me very quiet and calm, yet it was still the same God who spoke. I think we need not put God in a box on these type of things. Yes, let's stick to the Word. But the Word never says that God always thunders. Sometimes He does, but not always. Could be a still small voice that spoke to the prophet that he still can use today if he chooses. But he can speak. Our deal is we ought to listen to him when he speaks and then obey when he speaks. Yes, Lord. Remember little Samuel? He was a boy. Eli was a priest. God began to speak to Samuel. He thought it was Eli calling. He goes, Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed. He hears the voice again. He runs to the prophet. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Happens again. And the prophet said, you know, this must, something unusual has happened here with this boy. He says, when you go back this time, if it speaks again, say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. And he did that. And it was the voice of God telling him, some things in Eli's family and in the priesthood of Israel at that time that need to be straightened out. Isn't that interesting? He was just a young child. So there's no age limit either. God can speak to older people. He can speak to middle-aged people. He can speak to young people. I would advise learning to listen to his voice when you're a young person. Because you've got a whole life to develop your hearing ability and you to obey what he says. He can speak to men. He can speak to women. And you know, he did on one occasion speak through a donkey. I'll just leave that one where it's at. So I, I, I believe if he could speak to and through a donkey, the rest of us are in good shape. The deal is to learn to hear his voice, recognize his voice. Let me suggest, get in and start reading the Word, particularly the New Testament. Read the Word, read the Word, put the Word of God in you. That will familiarize you to his voice and the way he speaks. You'll see, God spoke this way on that occasion. He spoke this way. When this particular sick person needed to be healed, he ministered to him this way because he, he said, I only do what I see my father do. He learned to hear the voice of the father and obey accordingly. So as you and I begin to get in the word and the word becomes real to us, we'll begin to familiarize ourselves to the way and what he says. So we'll not be deceived by that other voice that's in the world. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Fellowship with God in prayer. Pray a lot. Pray often. Pray a lot. 
Having done all to stand, stand therefore. One of the ways to do that is to pray the promises of God. Just keep declaring what he says.